Modern Love, the podcast, is made possible with support from Living Proof. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fact. Hair can absorb more than a third of its weight in water, which is a recipe for disaster on a humid day. Only Living Proof's Humidity Shield will save you from looking like a frizz ball. Use the code NOFRIZZ at livingproof.com for a free travel-size humidity shield with your $20 order. We are the science. You are the living proof. And by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage at quickenloans.com slash modernlove. From the New York Times and WBUR Boston, this is Modern Love. Stories of love, loss, and redemption. I'm your host, Meghna Chakrabarty. Breakups. Some of us handled them more gracefully than others. Steve Friedman's story of a particularly messy breakup became the very first Modern Love column ever published back in 2004. Emmy Award winner Tony Hale reads this one for us. You've seen him as Gary Walsh on HBO's Veep or as Buster Bluth in Arrested Development. Here he is with Steve's essay, Just Friends? Let me read between the lines. She dumped me. Uh, what's important are not the details, but the pronoun placement. She preceding me. But <laughs> there's no villain here. My therapist suggests I repeat this mantra to myself. So I do. There is no villain here. There is no green-eyed, wasp-waisted, pillow-breasted, sneering, queen-of-the-damn villain who dumped me so swiftly and with such imperious, frigid beauty that I experienced chest pains and shortness of breath, leading to something called a cardiolite stress test, which I just discovered my insurance company may not pay for and which has left me not only miserable and lonely and occasionally sobbing in public bathrooms, but also about $6,000 in debt. (laughs) But no one is to blame here. My therapist suggests I repeat this phrase, too. No one is to blame here. Did she have her reasons? Could I have been a better boyfriend? Is it telling that I was 48 when we met and never married that I had spent the better part of three decades shedding wedding happy sweethearts as a tailback dances away from fiendish linebackers? And that I had recently looked in the mirror and seen staring back male pattern baldness and the egregious folly of my broken field running brand of romance? (laughs) Ha! No good can come from dwelling on such questions. So... Let's assume she had her reasons. What's important is not what she did or why. What's important is how I handled it. Personal setbacks and romantic rejection, according to authorities ranging from the Dalai Lama to the editors of Cosmo Girl, offer us all opportunities to behave with grace, 
and courage and self-respect. They also offer the opportunity to do what I did. First, a day after she dumped me, I sent an email message. An affectionate, graceful, non-desperate note of about 200 words that I worked on for three hours. I remember how wonderful and sweet things felt with you, I wrote. That was good, I thought. Bold, yet sensitive. From laughing and kissing on the tennis court to drifting in the ocean to, to holding each other and feeling so lucky and grateful. I just wanted to let you know that. It's not bad. Heartfelt, but not clinging. And then I wrote, and I wanted to own up to the toxic stuff I brought to the relationship and to tell you how much you mean to me and to acknowledge the enormous amount of effort and kindness and love you brought to me and to our relationship. I wanted her back so bad it gave me a stomach ache. But I remembered with distress the time she had accused me of whining. <laughs> I struggled over the last line for 20 minutes. I decided on, write back if you want, but you don't need to feel obliged. She didn't feel obliged, which made me want to call her, which made me want to have sex with her which made me want to wake up next to her to grow old with her or to see her age and grow fat and ugly very quickly. Eh, she's dead to me, I told my friends. I was mentally ill to have dated her, I told my friends. Obviously a borderline personality, I told my friends. Why did I throw away the best thing I ever had, I wrote in my journal. Please, God, bring her back. A week later, I received an email message. She thanked me for mine, apologized for not getting back to me sooner, admitted she was sad about how things had ended. Then came the key line. I just hope we can have some sort of friendship going forward. Ho, 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 ho! I decided this was her way of widening the dialogue. I decided this was her way of signaling that she was open to romance. I decided to ignore the advice of every single one of my friends, not to mention my therapist. I telephoned her and suggested we try again. She laughed. I persisted. She might have used the phrase just friends, but I have not been able to locate those words in the detailed notes I kept of our conversation. Besides, are the details really that important, huh? Then the fact that we had loved each other unconditionally and fully and intensely for four weeks and three days and nine hours and 26 and a half minutes mean more than mere words? <laughs> we made a date to see a movie. On the afternoon of, she canceled, pleading fatigue and an impending sore throat. She said she would rather make it another night. Was that okay? But of course it was okay. I'm an adult, after all, not a child. I'm not a child. She couldn't possibly suspect that I would be bothered by a postponed date, could she? <laughs> or hurt, suspicious, or deeply wounded, or reminded with a throbbing emptiness in my gut and sticking pain behind my eyes that when we were making out on tennis courts and drifting in ocean currents and discussing plans to hike in New Zealand together and holding each other in bed, nothing like a sore throat, excuse me, an impending sore throat, would ever keep us apart. <laughs> Feel better, I offered majestically. Call her right when you're on the mend and we'll celebrate your return to health, I suggested. Manfully, powerfully, with confidence, no neediness there, no rage, no desperate cardiolite test-inducing words. 
Almost a week later on my birthday, as I was finishing a magazine profile, I uh, received another email note. Hope you're having a V special day. Is the story done? XOXO. Oh. I spent that afternoon and evening deconstructing the text. Two lines, not good. Eleven words on my birthday, not good. The V instead of very, not so good. But perhaps I was misreading. Perhaps I was bringing my own insecurities to bear on a sweet, loving signal from cyberspace. I cross-referenced her word usage with all her other email, which I had saved in a special file and made a startling discovery. She had used the V abbreviation before. Obviously, it was a literary affectation or just a communicative tick. I had been entirely too eager to see it in proof of withered feelings. And it would be blind and horribly unfair, would it not, to ignore the XO? (laughs) A clear, unambiguous indication that she was ready to drift with me in the ocean currents again? Huh? I called her to clear things up. I didn't want to misunderstand her, I said. Did she want to date or not? (laughs) She suggested I not call again. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah? Well, then I suggested she not call again and that she lose my email address. And furthermore, if she ever saw me on the street, she had better... She hung up. Oh, I stewed. I composed bitter letters about how she was incapable of love, how she didn't recognize the gifts I had given her. I did not send the letters. Thank you, ten years of therapy. I drifted through the photos of her in my computerized slideshow, accompanied by Rebecca Luker singing Till There Was You over and over and over again. (laughs) I lost ten pounds in two weeks. (sighs) Then... Blinding epiphany. (laughs) I shouldn't have snapped at her on the phone. Of course she had recoiled. Who wouldn't? With the insight came a great sense of calm. With the calm, a sense of hope. With the hope, a plan. If I made her understand how much I loved her, how I in no way blamed her, and how I had changed and was now neither needy, nor angry, but just a man filled with love and affection and magnificent intentions, then she might take me back and we could get back to the ocean currents and tennis courts. This time I stayed away from the phone. Spoken language was so easily misconstrued. I'm sorry, I wrote. I'm really, really sorry. Then I elaborated. You have no idea how sorry I am. Other literary high points included, I was such an idiot. You don't know how much I miss you. I wish you'd give us another chance on whatever terms you want. A week later, she wrote back. She appreciated the apology. She didn't trust me. She wished me well. Didn't trust me. No wonder she didn't want us to travel in New Zealand together. Surely if she knew about the chest pains and shortness of breath, her doubts about my sincerity would vanish. Surely if I told her about the way I listened to the music man while mooning over her digital photos, she would come back. So I did. I told her. One more email message. I told her all that. 
I also cited lines from Casablanca and Malcolm in the Middle. I mentioned my prayers. That was almost a month ago. In that time, I've, oh, I've reflected on and marveled at the chilly and dignified silence that has been maintained by the women I myself have dumped over the years. I have thought of the pathetic old professor in The Blue Angel who Marlene Dietrich compels to cluck like a chicken, of the poor bastard in endless love of every mopey mope whom Frank Sinatra immortalized in his greatest loser anthems. I've considered the Dalai Lama and Cosmo Girl way of life and realized that I behaved with all the dignity of a furious and heartsick and grievously wronged Teletubby. But I'm getting better. And finally, getting it. <laughs> I know this because two weeks ago, for the first time in a long time, when a woman smiled in my direction on the subway, possibilities occurred to me. I know this because for the first time in a long time, I'm not racing to check my email every day or gazing at photos of her. I haven't destroyed those photos or the letters and email as friends have advised, but I don't need to. This time she's really dead to me. Really. I mean it. Tony Hale, reading Steve Friedman's essay, Just Friends? Let me read between the lines. Now, for those of you who don't watch Veep, the HBO political satire, it follows Selena Meyer, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, as she takes on the roles of vice president and later president of the United States. Tony Hale plays Gary Walsh, her loyal assistant. And Tony told us that this essay really reminded him of Gary. I think he does this with Selena, his boss. He just creates a world in his mind of how she feels about him, how I think one day he dreams of being the first lady next to her. Uh, He desperately... Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if the sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England. Sandwich is a city in England. Reading is a city in England. And I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. He wants them to be married, and he's just created this entire, you know, universe in his head of them together. And the reality is, she doesn't even know his last name. I am next to the beat more than any other human being. You are distantly orbiting her. I'm her moon. 
Tony Hale as Gary Walsh in HBO's Veep. The author of this week's essay, the person who really lived this story, is Steve Friedman. He's had about 12 years to get over this breakup. We'll hear how he's doing in just a minute. Support for Modern Love, the podcast, comes from Living Proof, the science behind healthy hair. I'm Katie from Living Proof, and we get love letters all the time, like this one. Dear Living Proof, I thought I was going to have to cut off all of my hair. So dry and frizzy. My new hairdresser gave me no frizz shampoo and the leave-in conditioner, and now I have a full head of bouncy, shiny hair. Awesome stuff. Love, Donna. Use the code NOFRIZZ for a free travel-sized humidity shield with your $20 order. Livingproof.com. We're back. It's Modern Love, the podcast. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And now a postscript from the author of this week's essay, Steve Friedman. The woman I wrote about was what I would call a very high-spirited woman and what my friends called crazy. And I was really off balance much of the relationship. And it was kind of a volatile relationship. And we hadn't spoken in a while ever since she had neglected to return my way too many calls in the aftermath of the breakup. And then I wrote the piece, and I didn't hear from her after that. I suspect she probably read it because we had a lot of mutual friends. And I actually did walk by her on the street one day, right next to Central Park, and our eyes met for a second or two, and no words were exchanged, and that was it. So writing the essay really helped me make sense and see my behavior in a different light. Before I started writing it, I thought I was just a terribly grieving, wronged, um, sad guy. As I started to write it, I saw the pretty monumental self-delusion I'd been under and how she'd been saying things pretty clearly like, don't call me again and stay away. And I'd been hearing, let's give this one more chance. And behaving like that and losing weight and doing all the crazy things, you know, listening to our song over and over and over again, looking at her pictures, really did help me empathize with and understand some of the women that I've broken up with over the years, which, you know, which has helped me be broken up with and break up with people in in much more graceful ways. And it's led me to be in relationships in more graceful ways too, and led to a wonderful girlfriend. So the woman I'm dating now is, uh, she's fantastic and smart and pretty and kind, and I respect her and sexy and loving and all that stuff, and, uh, and very steady. She says how she feels, she listens to how I feel, so I'm grateful for that. Steve Friedman, author of Just Friends, Let Me Read Between the Lines. His work has been featured in magazines, newspapers, and anthologies, and he's also author of four books, including a memoir called Lost on Treasure Island. So now, the view from another relationship— Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for the New York Times, and you hear him in every podcast. But since we've taken you back to the very first Modern Love column ever published, 
we also wanted to bring in the person with whom Dan started the column, his wife, Kathy Hanauer. Steve Friedman's essay uh, gives me the opportunity to tell the story of how the Modern Love column got started, um, because his essay was the very first column that ran back in October of 2004. The reason why I've got to tell that story is because I did not edit Steve's piece. I didn't accept Steve's piece. Um, This column started because my wife, Kathy Hanauer, published a book called The Bitch in the House, which was about women's frustrations in marriage um, with having little children and a job and trying to do it all and generally blaming and being angry with the men in their life. (laughs) And that backed me into the corner of having men respond with a book of sort of aggrieved men and that I called The Bastard on the Couch. And these two books, especially done by, by husband and wife, got a lot of attention, and one of the people who read them and admired them was Trip Gabriel, who edited the style section back then. And he wanted to have material like that as a weekly column in Sunday Styles, and that's how Modern Love was born. I thought this would be a great first Modern Love because Steve is a real crowd pleaser. I thought, you know, there's room for the serious stuff later on, but we want to start with something that makes people laugh and makes people want to read the column. We also wanted the topic for the first Modern Love to be incredibly broad and something that nearly everyone has gone through. You know, everybody has been rejected. Everybody. One of the things I love about this piece and about Steve as a writer is that he has the experience and brilliance and talent and self-awareness of a sophisticated, very therapized, middle-aged New York man. And yet when he falls in love, which is often, if you know Steve, his emotions resort to that of a 13-year-old. And so you have someone who is powerless over his feelings and actions, yet completely aware of them. And therefore he can write about them, I think, hilariously. It's like he's observing himself going through the actions and then conveying them to us with complete honesty, letting us laugh at him and with him as he laughs at himself. And he's so self-deprecating throughout, which is really the... The, the ammunition of the, of the personal essay is to be able to be harder on yourself than anybody else and to, to turn inward, um, not with self-pity, but just self-deprecation. Not long after Modern Love got going, Kathy decided to step back from the project to focus on her own writing. But the column continues to play a significant role in their marriage. Well, editing Modern Love, I think Kathy would um, agree, has made me an ideal husband. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, um, we are constantly, you know, sharing stories of what problems people have in relationships and how common those problems are. And I think we've both, through this process, come to the understanding of the extent to which people tend to idealize marriage and idealize relationships. We are sort of anti-romantics in that <laughs> sense. And I think the, the column is anti-romantic in that sense. Not that there aren't happy endings and not that... People can't do extraordinary things in marriage and in relationships. But the idealism about how much we expect of our spouses and how much we expect of love, I feel like that's dangerous. And a lot of relationships end because of those fantasies. Yeah, I don't think editing a column about love has changed our relationship. It's just that what we've always done well together was work. Um, we, I 
met Dan at an MFA program, and I loved his writing. That's how I fell in love with him. But we've always sort of helped each other. And I think that talking about the modern love pieces as well as whatever else we're working on is really fun for us. And it's what we do and what we love about each other. So I bet you never thought you'd hear the creators of modern love describe themselves as anti-romantics, huh? Well, the secret to their marriage, they say, is simply compatibility and a shared sense of humor. You know, it's funny. We just recently celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary, and we both forgot about it, as we always do, until my mother emailed us to say happy anniversary about middle of the day. And we are like, well, he's not going to bring home flowers, and I'm not going to show up at the door in a teddy and high heels, you know, and or wrapped in plastic wrap. I think I made myself a frozen pizza for dinner. But... <laughs> he did. He made a frozen pizza. I got a bite of it. It was pretty bad. And... You know, but what we did was we walked the dogs and we paid the bills and we talked about our work and we we did the things that we love. We're just, we're very compatible in those ways. And to me, that's what's romantic. Thanks, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Jones, editor of Modern Love for The New York Times and his wife, Kathy Hanauer. She's the author of several novels, including Gone, Sweet Ruin, and My Sister's Bones. And Kathy has a sequel to The Bitch in the House coming out in September. It's called The Bitch is Back, Older, Wiser, and Getting Happier. This podcast is supported by Carvana. Looking for a new set of wheels? Shop for your next car the convenient way. 100% online with Carvana. Whether you're shopping for a vehicle at your leisure or if you need to get on the road, Carvana makes it super easy and hassle-free to browse their massive inventory of cars, whenever, wherever. Plus, Carvana has thousands of quality cars for under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for cars the convenient and affordable way. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look. Bath is a city in England, sandwich is a city in England, reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Special thanks to Tony Hale for reading this week's essay. His work on Veep has earned him two Emmy Awards and four nominations overall, including this year. You can watch the 2016 Emmys on Sunday, September 18th. Last week on the podcast, we took you to an almost plane crash. Catherine Keener narrated Catherine Friedman Holland's essay about a woman's near-death experience and how it redirected the entire course of her life. There is no instant replay of my life. No existential secrets are revealed to me. Could the moments before death really be this banal? Have you ever had a near-death experience? Did it reveal any regrets or any unrealized dreams? We want to hear about it. Record a voice memo and keep it to 60 seconds or less and email it to modernlove at wbur.org. 
That's modernlove at wbur.org. Find out what's coming up next week on Modern Love after the break. Support for Modern Love comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. With Rocket Mortgage, you can get approved for a mortgage in minutes using your phone or tablet. This completely online process uses cutting-edge technology to make getting a mortgage more convenient than ever before. You no longer have to deal with the frustration of digging through stacks of financial documents. Now you can safely share bank statements and pay stubs with the touch of a button. Info at quickenloans.com slash modernlove. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Well, next week on Modern Love, Emmy-nominated actor Gabby Hoffman, known for Amazon's Transparent and HBO's Girls. She reads a story about three mothers and a baby. At almost exactly 16 months, we got the call. A birth mother from the Seattle area had picked us off the website. An art student, she had connected with us because we cited Harry Potter and The Lord of the Rings in our profile as books and movies we enjoy. Could something that tenuous really bring a child into our lives? Subscribe to Modern Love on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also sign up to receive Modern Love email updates at nytimes.com slash lovetalk. Modern Love is a production of The New York Times and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. It's produced, directed, and edited by Jessica Alpert, John Parati, and Amory Sievertson. The idea for the Modern Love podcast was conceived by Lisa Tobin. Our casting consultant is Amy Lippins. Iris Adler is our executive producer. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for the New York Times and advisor to the show. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. We'll see you next week. If you love modern love, check out WBUR's advice podcast, Dear Sugar, where hosts Cheryl Strayed and Steve Almond answer all your questions, no matter how deep or dark. Subscribe to Dear Sugar on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.